0: good morning everybody so good to see all of you here and uh, if you are new with us thanks so much for being here my name's dan and i'm the lead pastor and if your kids are doing vacation bible sunday today then then uh thank you for being here i hope you have a great experience here and they're gonna have some fun over there uh this morning um if you look at the front of your bulletin you sure received a bulletin when you came uh in the door today and um If you turn to the front under the words, welcome to Cedar Home Baptist Church, it says that Cedar Home Baptist Church exists to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus through gospel-centered worship, community, service, and multiplication. And at Cedar Home, this statement expresses the fact that we believe uh, that we were created by God um, for more than what this world can offer us. And we believe that, that God actually created us, created you to, to know him personally and to have a, a friendship with him and to have life and peace with him uh, because he didn't make you just for this temporary few decades on earth that you have but he made you for eternity and so we believe the bible when it says that god the father uh, so loved the world he loved the world in this way that he gave his only son jesus uh, for us so that whoever trusts in Jesus will, will not experience everlasting death after this life, but will have eternal life and friendship with God right now. And so every Sunday, Sunday morning, this is why we, we, we have a worship service. This is why we get together on Sundays. We, we want to celebrate God. And we want to celebrate what God has done for us. And so when we gather together, we, we're worshiping Him. And we're pointing to God and, and not to ourselves. And, and we worship God together um, through this service. And you've seen the different ways that we worship God so far. We worship Him the way that He tells us to worship Him in, in the Bible. We worship Him through singing songs of praise to Him um, and through praying together and through preaching his word and through giving our offerings and through loving and encouraging one another. And so far, we, what, what have we done? We've, we've sung together, we've prayed together, and now we're going to worship God together through the preaching of his word. And God says that uh, the Bible is, is his word, that uh, he actually has, has breathed out uh, the words contained in scripture. And so scripture reveals to us God's thoughts and God's heart and God says that his words in the Bible were not given just for one generation of people um, 2,000 to to 5,000 years ago but he says that his word is living and active right now today in that even though the grass withers around us even though the flowers fall and fade around us his word will stand forever his word is going to outlast all of us on earth Okay. And so in preaching, we, we are reading the Bible together to see how God is speaking right now to those who believe in Him and to those who don't believe in Him. And currently, we, we've been working our way through a book of the Bible called uh, The Acts of the Apostles. It's this incredible book. It was written shortly after Jesus' resurrection. It was written by a physician named Luke, and essentially, it's an investigative report uh, he says, we, between, he also wrote the Gospel of Luke, and um, he wrote this, he collected data, and he wrote this for somebody named Theophilus, and he says that uh, he, he, he wanted to give an account of what happened to Jesus in his life and death and resurrection, and specifically in Acts, we're seeing what happened to Jesus' followers after Jesus died and rose from the dead and ascended into, the he- into heaven. And why didn't... The Christian movement just died out at that point. Why didn't it just dissipate with Jesus uh, no longer on earth? And last week um, in Acts, we saw that, that as the news of Jesus' death and resurrection spread from Jerusalem outward through the, uh, throughout the Roman Empire... Uh, Jesus' church began to change. His people began to change. It it became more diverse. And Jesus' disciples, uh, we see, did not come from one race or one culture or one social class. But in fact, it it didn't take long for Jesus' church to include people from many different people groups uh, located throughout the Middle East and Europe and North Africa. And as the gospel of Jesus spread throughout the empire... Uh, there was one, one, one man that we're going to look at today who, who believed the gospel, who trusted in Jesus, and his life was turned upside down by Jesus. And it, his name was Stephen. And you might know somebody named Stephen. Maybe there's somebody in your family named Stephen. Most likely, they were named after this Stephen in the Bible or they were named after somebody who was named after this Stephen in the Bible. Uh, The Bible doesn't tell us a whole lot about Stephen, but what it does say is that Stephen's life and Stephen's courage changed the course of human history. That's not an overstatement. This one man, his life and his courage changed the course. It changed the course of of European and Western history as we know it. And so we get to, to read about him today, learn from him and learn what God has to say to us through his life. And so if you got a Bible with you, please open with me uh, to Acts chapter six, verse one. If you don't own a Bible, uh, we would love to give you one or it can tell you where you to, to, to get a good one uh, that will be most helpful to you. Um, we'll also put it up on the screen today if you didn't bring a Bible with you. Um, last week we focused on mainly on Acts chapter six verses one to seven, and we're going to reread that to get the context, remember the context again, and then today we'll focus in on verses eight to fifteen. So, um, let's before we dive in, let's ask God to, to help us as we read His Word. Lord, we thank you for for giving us good news, uh, giving us good news that we can celebrate every day from now on and forever. Uh, We thank you for verse like uh, Romans 5, 8, which it says that uh, you've demonstrated your your love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And we thank you, God, for the way that uh, your sin-defeating work on the cross purifies us, wipes our lives clean, and pulls us into your presence. I thank you, God, for the children and families who are with us today for the first time. I pray that you will bless them. Um, and Lord, just for all of us, I pray that you will uh, use your word, your, that your Holy Spirit will, will show us truth about ourselves and about our need for God and will reveal your awesome power to us. Uh, we, we ask that you would give faith Uh, To those who don't believe, that you would please strengthen the faith of those who do believe. Um, We believe you, God, that apart from you, we can do nothing, Jesus. And so we need to abide in you. And uh, so we just ask that you would feed us now. Give us what we need. Please protect us from evil. Um, We pray this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, Acts 6, 1 to 15. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So, just real quick the Hellenists were the uh, Jews from outside Jerusalem who had become Christians. And the Hebrews were the Jews from within Jerusalem who had become Christians. So now we've got these two different people groups coming together, okay? And the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Then they secretly investigated men who said, or sorry, instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and they came upon him and seized him and and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. This is the word of the Lord. So the first time we hear about Stephen uh, is in verse 5, when the the church of many thousand people now chose him to be one of seven men to oversee the daily distribution of food and money uh, to those Christians in need. And the first thing we learn about him again is that Stephen has a Hellenistic name, a Greek name. It's not a Hebrew name. And so what this means again is that Stephen did not come from Jerusalem. He came from the Jewish diaspora outside of Jerusalem. And Stephen was essentially the product of the apostles' missionary efforts to take the good news of Jesus to all people groups of the earth. And the fact that he was a Hellenistic Jew is gonna have more significance here as we continue to read. But right off the bat, Stephen's introduced as a man who is exceptionally anointed by God. Um, Verse five says that Stephen was a man full of faith. This, This means that Stephen boldly put all of his chips on Jesus. He trusted Jesus with all his heart. He trusted in Jesus with all his heart. Uh, He believed Jesus was God. He believed that Jesus did die in his place to suffer for his sins. Uh, Stephen believed that Jesus rose from the dead and that he did ascend into heaven and that he he was still alive in heaven. He believed Jesus' words. He believed that his promises were true. He said that what Jesus says is is gonna happen is actually gonna happen. And he believed in the power and the ministry of the living God. And so for Stephen, life was... Now, for him, about knowing Jesus and knowing his power. And death for him was going to be gain because he'd finally be with Jesus in the flesh in heaven. This is what it means that Stephen was full of faith. And verse 5 this also says that Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit. So, um, We've talked about this. I'm going to review it briefly, though. In one sense, the, the Holy Spirit fills all Christians, right? 1 Corinthians 619 19-20 tells Christians, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. And then Ephesians 1, uh, chapter 1 says that, that when God makes us spiritually born again and, and gives us faith in Jesus, God the Holy Spirit actually enters us. He indwells us to stay in us. The, the, the Holy Spirit seals us in order to guarantee our eternal salvation until it's brought to completion. Isn't that awesome? The Spirit's in us. And so in that sense, all true Christians are filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, but, but as we've seen already in Acts, the idea of being full of the Holy Spirit, which is phrased slightly different, is a little, it's a little bit different. It means something different. A person who is full of the Spirit, as it's used here, is someone who has the anointing of the Holy Spirit in a special way. Uh, often we see the Holy Spirit fill a Christian for a specific ministry or calling or witnessing opportunity. And according today's, to this passage, it says that it was obvious to the apostles and to the whole church that Stephen was a man full of the Spirit. Uh, the, the Holy Spirit was showing himself through the great signs and wonders that Stephen was doing and through the gospel message that Stephen was speaking to others, and through the courage of Stephen uh, in the face of adversity, this is what it means that Stephen was full of the Spirit. And then in verse 8, we read two more descriptions of Stephen. Stephen was a man full of grace. He was not an angry religious man out to shoot people down. He was not out to quarrel over foolish disputes. Uh, He was not out to impress others by how pious of a man he was. As as a man full of grace, I think this is the best way to describe it, probably, is Stephen resembled Jesus in the way that Jesus treated people and interacted with people. Stephen loved the Lord, he loved others. That's what it means, he was full of grace. And then finally in verse 8, we read that Stephen was was full of power. Uh, Because the Holy Spirit rested upon Stephen and, and filled him in this unusual, exceptional way, the power of God radiated from Stephen. Yeah, and, and this was likely shown through, through Stephen's zeal for the gospel message and through Stephen's working of miracles. And, and most importantly, it was shown through um, the power of God that really undergirded all of Stephen's ministry. Because it wasn't Stephen's power that made him exceptional, it was God's power working through Stephen that made him exceptional. Okay. Stephen was full of God's power. That's where one, one, one way we get it wrong, at least in our world and our cultures, especially, if, I don't know, for men and women, I think both is we think that um, being a innately powerful, tough, rugged individual is, is, is one of the highest virtues you can have, whereas Scripture says that weakness is actually the way to godliness because it's in weakness That the Holy Spirit's power is made perfect in us. And so when we hit the wall and we come to an end to ourselves, we can't glory in ourselves. We can only glory in God's power who carries us through it. This is what it means that Stephen was full of power. He was full of faith, he was full of the Holy Spirit, he was full of grace. And he was full of power. And, and, uh, and while the church had appointed Stephen to oversee the daily distributions, Stephen didn't limit his ministry to that task. It says that uh, he was also doing these great wonders and signs among the people, according to verse 8. And we've seen this before in Acts. Uh, as the message of salvation in Jesus was spreading from Jerusalem outwards to the ends of the earth, God accompanied that gospel proclamation with signs and wonders performed by the apostles, and now we see by, by additional disciples of Jesus. And it's important to remember this, though. The signs and wonders were not ends in and of themselves. Okay? The purpose of the signs and wonders was to validate the gospel message. People weren't saved through seeing signs and wonders. They were saved through... Believing the message, believing in Jesus. And signs, what do we use signs for again? To point to things. That's what signs point, they do, they point to things. And these miraculous signs that, that Stephen was doing pointed to Jesus. They pointed to the truthfulness of the gospel. They pointed to Jesus' power over life and death. And, 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 and they pointed to the fact that although Jesus was in heaven, nobody sees him physically, Jesus' transcendent power was still actively working on earth through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so in Stephen's life, we see this, this beautiful partnership between the preaching of the gospel and the performing of these signs and wonders. And the signs and wonders aren't what got Stephen into trouble, it was the message he preached. And that's because in general, people don't have a problem with a person doing nice things for others. Uh, People don't have a problem with acts of kindness. But people in general will have a problem hearing that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life and that no one comes to the Father except through him. People are going to have a problem with Jesus' own words that he said about himself. That's where the rub is. And... um, so we read in verse 9 then some of those who belong to the synagogue of the freedmen as it was called and of the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians and of those from Cilicia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen and so so there are these Jews who've come to Jerusalem from all over the Roman Empire they're representing their home synagogues and as they watch Stephen do healings as they listen to him speak about Jesus It says several of them rise up against Stephen because they don't like what he's saying. And they started to dispute with him about his message. Now, it's kind of ironic that these men disputing with Stephen were all Hellenistic Jews. They were Greek Jews who had come from different places throughout the Roman Empire, just like Stephen had. They had a totally different reaction, though to this gospel that was coming to them. some scholars think that some of these men may have actually even known Stephen before he'd become a Christian. Maybe they'd even been members of the same synagogue. When you step back and see what's happening here to Stephen, and we read that that these, these, these men rose up and began to dispute him, some of whom he may have known, some of whom may have been family, friends, some of you in here, can really feel Stephen's pain. You know what it's like to have people from your past life turn against you now that you're a follower of Jesus. Um, maybe before trusting in Jesus, you, you, uh, your life was the party lifestyle, you did a lot of foolish things, uh, maybe a lot of things you regret. Uh, or maybe for you, you grew up in a, a cult or a religion that, that taught you not to trust the Bible, not to follow Jesus as God. Um, maybe, maybe for you, you hung out with people who, who hated Christians, uh, Christians who, who wanted to destroy Christianity and, and, and uh, destroy their way of thinking. Uh, or maybe, like many people, maybe you grew up in a family who just didn't care. About religion, like maybe it was just we don't really talk about that in our house. Uh, we go to you know we go on Easter and Christmas, and it's kind of what we do. <clears throat> but then at some point, you heard the gospel, or you, you read the gospel in the Bible, maybe that your sins, which is offenses against God, have separated you from the person you need most from God. And at some point maybe you believed that message and you believed maybe it's through experience, maybe through divine revelation whatever that your efforts never seem to be good enough to take away your guilt from you. You can't clear yourself from yourself. Your conscience won't let you go. Satan won't let you go. You can't get off his radar no matter what you do, no matter how much you try to get your life together. You can't do it, and you can't get closer to God on your own. And perhaps when you heard the gospel, you saw your need for someone besides you to save you. And when you heard that Jesus died on the cross in your place, that he died to do for you what you could never do for yourself, you believed. And you responded in faith to that message by telling Jesus, I need you, Jesus. And you told Jesus, you're my hope. You're the only hope I have. Well, if that happened to you, then at some point, probably down the road, you began talking to your family and friends about what happened to you. And just like just, just in the same way that Stephen was talking to people about his past and, and what had happened to him. And this is gonna be a continued theme through Acts as we see Jesus rock people's world who are on the total opposite spectrum of philosophical religious thought. And they then have a transformed life and they have to go explain to others to the best of their ability why they're different now. Well, maybe after telling your family your family I've heard this a lot your you know family says well it's just a phase let's wait this thing out see what happens to them maybe after following Jesus for a while and be and actually uh, becoming Jesus's disciple and reading about what Jesus says uh, you should love and what you shouldn't love and actually having that shape your life maybe some of your family and friends have risen up against you and disputed with you about Jesus and about the Bible, and about your faith. You can relate to Stephen, if that describes you. And you can relate to what he's going through in this passage. Even though he was full of faith, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, I guarantee you it did not feel good to him to have his own people oppose him. And if you've experienced that kind of reaction from friends and family and old acquaintances, You need to know that what you're experiencing is right on track with what Jesus said you should expect if you're living for his glory. In Matthew 10, 34 to 39, Jesus said, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. That's not one you see on most coffee cups, okay? follow me is not worthy of me whoever finds his life will lose it whoever loses his life for my sake will find it and as i've talked to many of you just about even this past week about different things and situations you're going through it gets very complex and tricky trying to figure out how do i and how do i how do i both love the lord and my family at the same time and and um, it's it's not easy And so in this passage, adding fuel to the fire here uh, of of Stephen's disputers, uh, we read in verse 10, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Okay, so no matter what they said to Stephen, no matter how they, they tried to probably trap him in his arguments, they couldn't beat him, okay? Uh, They could not withstand, it says, the wisdom with which he was speaking. They could not withstand the spirit with which he was speaking, and that's a capital S there. It's talking about the Holy Spirit. They could not stand up against the Holy Spirit. One person filled with the Spirit of God and the wisdom of God will always defeat Thousands of people without the spirit and wisdom of God. Even when it looks like that that spirit filled person has been defeated from an earthly perspective. 1 Corinthians 1 18 to 25 says, For the word of the cross is folly, foolishness, to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, So important to remember that. Sometimes when the Holy Spirit is radiating his power through the preaching of a Christian, the Spirit confounds his listeners, okay? This was written about Jesus, this this happened with the apostles, and now it happens with Stephen. Pay attention here. This passage is not applauding Stephen's natural wisdom or his level of education, or his intellectual prowess. Instead, the wisdom of Peter that confounded his opponents was the message of the gospel, which is foolishness to those who don't believe, but it is the power of God to those who are saved. And when you begin to talk about the cross, and the blood of Jesus, and... Jesus being the Lamb of God, the only Lamb of God who can take away our sins. If you've been in conversations with people who don't believe that, including some of us here before we were Christians, you know that you can get a very uh, belligerent response. It <laughs> can get heated. And that, 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 I was talking to somebody this week who who just, it was, it was bizarre. They were having a conversation with somebody, then they started talking about Jesus and, it was Jesus, and it was like that person snapped, just like that. It's because there's spiritual warfare going on. The Bible says that Satan blinds the eyes of people so that they can't see the glory of God in Jesus Christ. Satan does not want people to see Jesus. Satan wants people to go with him to hell, okay? Um... In this passage, Stephen's opponents decide here that if they can't defeat him, then they're going to destroy him. And so verses 11 to 12 say, then they secretly instigated men who said, we've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. So as disgruntled people often do, these men go round up more people to add to their disgruntled party. And so they added more men secretly, it says, who started saying, Stephen is a blasphemer. His message is against Moses. His message is, is a, it's against God himself. And then it says Stephen's opponents intentionally stir up the crowds in Jerusalem, these crowds of people, they get into a frenzy, along with the Jewish leaders, until they physically grab Stephen, and they drag him to the court, to the council, the the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin was the supreme court of the Jewish people, it consisted of about 70 key uh, Jewish leaders, and they, they, they took Stephen there to decide what to do with him. Now... As we see over and over again in the book of Acts, when disciples of Jesus are hated for their message, when they're, when they're argued with, when they're persecuted, when they're even killed, it does not mean that they are in the wrong or that somehow they've witnessed poorly about Jesus. On the contrary, it could very likely mean that they spoke accurately about Jesus and that they did that in an admirable way with courage and love, kindness. And the exact same truth, uh, the exact same thing is true today. If we see a rise of Christians in America being taken to court for believing what the Bible says, we should not be surprised. If we see a rise of Christians in our country going to jail for holding to Jesus' teachings, we shouldn't be surprised. And if I'm not, I'm not saying this like doom or gloom. I'm not prophesying. I'm not saying. I'm saying this is reality. If, God forbid, we see a rise of Christians in our country being killed for faith in Jesus, we shouldn't be surprised. And this is why. Because it happened in the first century. It's happened over the past 2,000 years in the greatest governments and countries throughout the world. And it's happening right now all around the world. Boy, I was in in London uh, a few weeks ago. I didn't realize London is 3% Christian now. You know that? I mean, this is where the Apostle Paul wanted to go preach the gospel. This is where our Christian heritage comes from, from Europe. It's 3% evangelical Christian at this point. And uh, it's a post-postmodern culture. And we want to pray to God that we don't become that way. We want to pray for our leaders and for our government that our country would flourish and turn our eyes to God and honor Him. This is what we know though, being persecuted for our faith is not the worst thing that that could happen to us, okay? It's not. Going to hell after this life for all eternity is the worst thing that could ever happen to us. It's the worst thing that could ever happen to our kids. And when that reality shapes our lives, when we really believe that, and that conviction shapes the way we live, we, we are willing to endure persecution because we love the Lord more than anything, and because we want to see others be rescued by Jesus too and not go to hell. We want that even for our persecutors. In the Bible, if you read the Bible, Jesus is actually more concerned with the way that we as Christians respond when we're persecuted than he is concerned with rescuing us from persecution. I mean, Jesus tells us to pray for those who persecute us. Uh, he tells us to love our enemies. He tells us to correct our opponents with gentleness and respect. To respect our opponents. To be respectful. To, to speak gently, kindly to them. And, and I think that for us in this room and for, our, for Christians in our country, one of the greatest needs in our society today is for people to learn to have civil conversations about issues they disagree about. Um, As one of our elders, Gary Williams, often puts it, we need to learn how to disagree without being disagreeable. And as Jesus' disciples, we've gotta work hard to lead the way in civility. You can't expect people who don't love Jesus or people who who haven't been born again to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit. Right? The, we, 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 we must not enter into debates without praying for the Lord's help. Uh, we, we can't get caught up in quarrels for the sake of quarrels. It doesn't take any spiritual maturity to do that. We, we must resist the temptation to be filled with rage toward those who disagree with us. Jesus is so radical that he actually frees us to love those who hate him. That's radical. And Christians should be the ones held to a higher standard as the ones who display Christ's love. We should be the ones seeking to be filled with the Spirit and seeking to display the fruit of the Spirit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self control. And, and those fruit reveal themselves in the way that we interact with other people. And so we've got to be careful to protect our witness and the credibility of the church by the way that we dialogue with others about really important issues. Um, and so real practically, I would say if, if you are having a lot of heated conversations, which praise God we live in a country with free speech, we get to, but if you're if you are having a lot of heated conversations publicly or on Facebook or on social media use extreme caution if you consider yourself a disciple of Jesus because you're representing Jesus to the world people aren't necessarily going to remember everything you said they're going to remember how you say it and there's a proverb that says where words are many sin is not absent so be careful Let's be careful as Christians how we interact with others. Um, After seizing Stephen here and, and bringing him before the council of the Sanhedrin, we read in verses 13 to 14, and they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law, for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And so so they they take it a step further here. They're they're setting up false witnesses now who are lying to the Sanhedrin, who testify that Stephen won't stop talking bad about the temple and the Jewish law. Uh, They say that Stephen keeps saying that Jesus is gonna destroy the temple and he's gonna change all the customs that Moses wrote down in the Torah. Now next Sunday, um, we're gonna, God willing, look more closely at these accusations and, and how Stephen responds to them. But I want you to look closely here. When you read this, do you see a trend happening here with, with people, men appearing before the Sanhedrin? This is the fourth instance in the past year that we've read about someone being wrongly taken to the Sanhedrin to be judged. In this trial, specifically Stephen's trial, looks very similar to Jesus's trial. Jesus too had been accused of speaking against the temple. Jesus, too, had been accused of speaking against Moses and speaking against God's law. Jesus was lied about in court by false witnesses who'd been set up. It reminds us of what Jesus had predicted that last night on, uh, on earth at that last supper, in John 15, 18 to 25, he said, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but... Jesus suffered at the hands of his accusers so that you might not suffer at the hands of accusers forever. Jesus bore our sin and it was declared guilty of sin before men and God so that you might not be declared guilty of your sin, which you really are guilty of apart from Jesus. Jesus suffered the eternal punishment of God's wrath towards sin so that you might not have to suffer the eternal punishment of God's wrath toward your sin after this life. And Jesus was, was, was proclaimed vindicated in God's sight, righteous in his resurrection so that you might be proclaimed righteous in God's sight forever if you put your faith in him because you can't do it on your own, neither can I. And so this, this, says it, this tells us, man, don't go to bed tonight wondering what will happen to you when you die. You don't have to. Don't, don't go leave this place today. It's like, oh, well, we listened to a guy talk for 40 minutes. Now we're back to life. He wants to go get some hot dogs or go eat. You know, it's like, God brought you here for a reason. Listen, don't go home today whether God will Wondering whether God's going to forgive you of all your guilt and all your sin. Go home today knowing that your sin has been dealt with in a real, physical, and spiritual way. That your shame has been removed from you. It actually has been removed from you when it was imputed to Christ on the cross. Go to bed tonight knowing that you're saved and you are safe forever because you're covered by Jesus And you can know that if you trust in him. (laughs) It's not by figuring out, getting your pad of paper out, figuring out how do I get my life together so that one day I can be saved. You trust in Jesus that you can't do it on your own and that he did it for you. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. And then, man, be baptized. That's what Jesus said. Go make disciples, baptize them in my name. Be baptized is a, a, a picture of a celebration of what God has done to, to save you and make you born again through Christ. Well, when, when Stephen's opponents took him to be tried before the Sanhedrin, man, think about this. He had the cards stacked against him. This is the same council that already ordered Jesus to be put to death, This is the same council that twice had ordered Peter and the Christians to stop speaking about Jesus in Jerusalem and they didn't stop. This is the same council that was losing key supporters because its own priests were trusting in Jesus and being baptized, okay? So as Stephen appears before the Sanhedrin, it does not bode well for him. But look at how this section of scripture ends. This beautiful verse, my favorite verse of today's passage, verse 15, says, "...and gazing at him..." All who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. So before he even spoke a word to this council of 70 Jewish leaders, it says that they were gazing at him. They were staring at him because he didn't look like a normal man. They couldn't take their eyes off of him because his face was like the face of an angel. And, you know, Most of the time in the Bible, when angels appear to people, um, those angels don't look like maybe our modern cartoons or ideas of what angels are like. Angels scare the heck out of people. That's what angels do. Almost always the first words angels tell humans is, don't be afraid, because the sight of them freaks us out. Angels, these are servants of the Lord. Their whole job is to worship the Lord and do whatever the Lord tells them to do. And they're supernatural, and they're glorious, and they're radiant, and they give people a glimpse of the glory of God. And as Stephen stood before the Sanhedrin, it says all of the members of the council, they saw Stephen, they saw his face, and it was like the face of an angel. Stephen was full of the spirit, and very likely his face was radiating the glory of God. And this reminds us of a few other times in the Bible when this happened, right? Moses came down from the mountain after being with God. His face was radiating. Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, his face was radiating. And so now Stephen, filled with the Holy Spirit, he stands before dozens and dozens of angry men, and his face looks like an angel's face. And he did not make his face look this way. It was God's way of visually giving his approval to Stephen so before he's even said one word to this council he's already given his approval to Stephen he's radiating his approval and Stephen's face alone declared to the council before you counsel say one word he's not guilty he's in fact anointed by God and that's who they're up against may the Lord give us man because we need God to give us may he give us a delight in him and a desire for his glory that actually eclipses our own fears of being persecuted and whatever trials that we're in right now may his glory and his in Jesus may we see him as greater than all of that we need his help to to, to do that because that's that's not in our natural flesh to, to see God that way we need God to help us Um, Even if we suffer greatly for our faith, even if we lose family and friends and jobs for the sake of Christ, even if we end up poor and alone at the end of this life, we know we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. And very soon, we're gonna see the Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this passage of Scripture. Uh, Thank you for... Uh, just bringing it to life for us. Help it uh, to just sink into our hearts and resonate with us, God, through, through this week as Christians. Help us to take seriously the, 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 the privilege and, and, and um, I don't know, seriousness of, of being your ambassadors, God. Um, I pray that you would make us like Stephen, full of grace. I don't want to be an angry Christian who's pointing the finger at the world and pointing the finger everywhere and telling other people how terrible people they are. We need to, we, I want to, be, we need to be people of grace who do not compromise the truth, but who are kind and respectful in the way we do that. And that is not in our flesh <laughs> naturally to do that. And we get defensive of you, Jesus. Um, but... <clears throat> Help us, God, I guess, to, um, this is one of the reasons we need fellowship with you and preparation with the Spirit and the Word. Before we just go into battle, conversations, whatever that looks like, help us to prepare and to realize uh, it's a sweet thing. You know, it's a sweet kind of little thing for us to think we have to defend you, but you're the Lion of Judah, and you can defend yourself really well. And we thank you for that. And we want, to, we want to be part of defending you. But help us just to love others, to tell them that Jesus loves them, that they can be saved by repenting from their sin and turning to him. Um, use us, God, and help us to be salt in this world, God, that actually makes this world a better place and that, um, it, that preserves it from ongoing decay of sin. Um, and just use us for your glory, God. Help us to speak the truth with love. And for those, God, who, who, who don't believe this message, I, I pray that um, because this is serious stuff, they would really wrestle with it. That they, because all of us have to. All of us have to wrestle with, okay, so what happens when, when I'm done here on earth? What happens that moment my heart stops and my brain stops? What, what, what happens right now? In, in, in the loneliness and brokenness of my life. Where is God? How do I make sense of these things? And um, Jesus, as your followers, we believe you're the answer to all of those things. Um, that you've, uh, while you don't give us all the answers about why everything happens in our lives, we do believe that you are the only hope of the world. You're the Lamb of, the God, Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world and that you deserve all glory and honor and praise. And we just thank you that you, call us to enjoy that salvation with you and in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.